Cold open. We grew up during peak sitcom. Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This, Hi. This is Aaron. And Bryn. And uh, we are here for our first installment of catching up on the whole Liz Knight four episode. Uh, what, what would you call this type of entity from back then? Well, I, I don't know, but it's like a um, intersecting storyline across yeah. four sitcoms. So, okay, so this is a little bonus app. This is not our normal uh, kind of format. We don't have Barry with us. Yeah. Barry, Barry is, you know, very good at setting boundaries. Uh, <laughs> and when he needs a break, he takes a break. So, so we, uh, we don't respect our own time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so and here we are. on recording something. Yeah. So we're, we've decided to do this little bonus for you. And because basically I've been haunted by this kind of, uh, strange thread of episodes phenomenon yeah since we um discovered it in prepping for our high society episode so you guys may recall that um for episode 59 we covered a short-lived sitcom called high society start starring gene smart so if you want um more info on that and haven't listened to it go back and listen to it yeah we you're Definitely going to want to either yeah. listen to that right before or right after this yeah. episode. Yeah. So essentially, as, so as soon as I realized that this was part of a four part um, arc arc about yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, the iconic movie star, losing a strand of black pearls and everyone in the sitcom, the, the four different sitcom worlds being involved in this kind of caper. Um, I just <laughs> had to learn more and I really insisted that we cover yeah. it in some way. So, so yeah, it was uh, basically four shows making up CBS's primetime lineup on February 26th, 1996. <laughs> uh, so I'll explain the format of today's episode. Basically. Bryn and I each took a little bit of time to independently research just what the heck Liz Knight was. And uh, then we watched the episode together that we're going to be talking about today, which is the uh, show that started the Liz Knight arc, mm -hmm. which is The Nanny. Yeah. Season three, episode 20 of The Nanny. You can probably find that on a major streaming platform. Watch it. And then, uh, yeah, we, we delved deeper into what this was. Yeah. So we just watched this nanny episode. My first reaction was, wow, the nanny was a good show. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you already were into the nanny back when we did our one of our holiday episodes because there was like this awesome Hanukkah episode, Hanukkah themed episode that they did. You know, I I really do think that The Nanny is like one of the most underrated sitcoms of that era. Yeah. I I really hope that, especially right now when Fran Drescher is having a bit of a moment, uh, that people discover The Nanny and it takes on a new whole cult uh, status because it is very funny and the character is like pretty iconic it like is. i have to say and i feel like growing up i love the nanny but everyone around me kind of like in my orbit like adults and other kids everyone just they thought that i don't know they didn't like her larger than life kind of uh brash personality and so it was kind of this thing where i was like i love the nanny i love her she's so funny and my parents like wouldn't watch it with me <laughs> yeah um uh-huh. It's uh yeah, as soon as it started, I'm like, wow, I really like Fran Drescher. And and uh yeah, it is it is very timely because, yeah. you know, she's obviously like the what is it, the president of the Screen Actors Guild yeah. and a very outspoken advocate for for labor rights and for the the protests and strikes that are happening right yeah. now. Um but yeah, like this is such an iconic character yeah. and and like we're going to talk about some things about Liz Knight that are like it was a cheesy marketing stunt sort of thing. And I'm mm-hmm. probably going to get really like grumpy about the the sort of like TV network apparatus behind it. Yeah. But all of that aside, it's an entertaining like, show. This show pulled yeah. more witty beats out of yeah. this situation than I would yeah. have ever thought possible. Well, in this kind of uh time of the the SAG AFTRA and WGA strike, one of those the clips from the nanny has been going viral yeah. on social media and it's a scene where Fran the character is refusing to cross a picket line. Yeah. And she was famously one of the like producers and creators. Uh, she co-created this show with her husband at the time. And uh, so you got to think some of these storylines would have been very heavily influenced by her, her beliefs and her stances. Yeah. Yeah. For in, sure. In all of that. For sure. So, and, and for those who aren't super familiar with the nanny, like without going too deep into it, you know, she the whole thing is, you know, she, she's a flashy girl from flushing. A flashy girl from <laughs> flushing Queens. But the thing is, like she and her mother, who's on who's a character on the show and her and grandmother her, and her grandmother, who's a character on the show. They're all kind of like working class, uh, but very flashy uh, women from from Queens. And she's living in the home of this super successful like Broadway musical theater producer yeah. who is, you know, a multi multi millionaire <laughs> 10 times over yeah. living in a huge mansion. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I realized like this is almost like the stu- the 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 humor um like rhythm, mm-hmm. the pacing and rhythm of this show, which is very tight. It's like the head of a drum. Boom, boom, boom. Very much like a comedic stage play. And that sort of juxt socioeconomic juxtaposition. It reminded me of like the polar opposite of Frasier. Yeah. And I know I invoke Frasier in a lot of my like nerdiest uh, analyses of sitcoms. 
if Frasier was supposed to be like this high society affluent guy who's living in uh, because he's on a radio mm -hmm. station and he's got like the, you know, like the housekeeper who lives with him or sorry, she's the caregiver slash housekeeper for her father, for the father and the father who's a former cop and uh, the other people working at the radio station. They're all like a little bit more like down to earth working class yeah. people. And so it's the opposite juxtaposition. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, I don't know. There's yeah, something fun about that. Same time period, too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole the whole premise that she sort of stumbles into this job of being a nanny, like the initial way she meets this family um, at the start of the series is she's selling makeup door to door and like through and I can't I haven't watched the pilot in so long, but basically through kind of a misunderstanding She's thought to be there as interviewing for a nanny job for the Sheffields. And then ultimately, Maxwell Sheffield hires her and she takes on this this uh, this very important job with this family and like really bonds with the kids and helps the kids come out of their shell because they're, you know, they're going to private school and they're all kind of shy and they're around a lot of conservative people. And Fran, with her big, bold personality and her fun outfits and her, you know, like she's like the most outgoing person in this entire cast, like really helps these kids kind of shine and get confidence and have more fun and, you know, like grab grab life by the balls, basically, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's a really cute kind of concept where she learns a lot from this family and like really they become her family, not to spoil anything, but her and Mr. Sheffield kind of have a will there, won't they? And then they will. They do end up getting together. Mm. So the, she does join the Sheffield family in a real, in an official way and in a like, very special professional yeah. way as well. So yeah. So um Can I can I get your impersonation? No, you can't <laughs> I'm not doing that on the mic. No. I know you can do it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um But she has a very specific laugh. It, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's the thing that it's the thing that the character is most known for. Yeah, so. yeah. She has a very nasal way of speaking, and like I love the character because Fran really does poke fun at herself. Like the she, like a lot of the jokes are just like her making fun of herself and her kind of like nasal way of speaking, and like the fact that she like wears a lot of her, makeup her and has big hair, and, and yeah, she's you know she. She loves the way she presents herself to the world, but she also knows that, you know, not everyone responds to it in a positive way. So she is very, yeah. like, quick to kind of poke fun at herself and not take herself yeah. too seriously. She's and I love of, that. One of the great iconic characters of the 90s totally. sitcom she era. She is kind of like a, a, like a Lucy, you know, yeah. like... Yeah. And I don't know why it, she doesn't have the same iconic kind of status. But she status. should. She she's, should. She's the closest thing in yeah. the 90s to Lu yeah. to I Love Lucy. Do you do you remember, though, Aaron, we also covered another fun, weird phenomenon from this uh, yeah. sitcom. It was the Lost Backdoor Pilot. Yeah, I do remember that. And the hair salon yes, thing. Yes, yes. 
So I don't know. It's 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 always fun to revisit, and it really makes me feel like maybe I need to do yeah. a separate deep dive podcast right. just on the nanny because it keeps weaving its way <laughs> it into does. our podcast yeah. without us planning that. Without it, us planning it, and it is like you know, it is a successful s- sitcom, so it's by no means failed or really forgotten. But it's definitely one of those sitcoms that probably should have had a bigger, yeah, you know. A bigger impact. Yeah. You know. So let's let's talk about let's talk about this episode. this episode. Let's get into it and let's talk about um, Liz Knight. Yeah. You know, so, this is kind of like part one of, of uh, Liz well, Knight, like both in terms of how it aired and how we're going to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So um, so Liz Knight. So when we talked about high society. High Society was the conclusion of Liz Knight. Yeah. It was the ending of the arc. Yeah. uh, Of the super arc across four shows. (laughs) Um, And The Nanny is the beginning. And and after The Nanny came uh, a show called Can't Hurry Love, which was a very short-lived show. It's also on our list, by the way. We will cover that one in the near future. At some point, we'll cover that show in general. Yeah. uh, Because I believe it only lasted for 19 (laughs) episodes. And then the other show is Murphy Brown, which, which is of, another a hugely course, yeah. iconic. Definitely of that those four shows, it's definitely the most successful of those CBS sitcoms. Yeah. Like it is like a very, you know, legendary sitcom. And it's the one that that uh, spurred a recent sort of remake type of thing where they a did reboot. A that one, wasn't a reboot. Quite, wasn't very successful. Wasn't very successful. No. It lasted one season, but yeah. um, but yeah. Uh, it definitely had uh, a big impact on the zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, the plot of this uh, episode is quite simple. Um, you know, Elizabeth Taylor is heading over to uh, the, Sheffield the Sheffield's house. house. Um, what was the reason why she was coming? So over? it was a meeting because she's going to be like she was like either in talks to star in something or okay. is starring in something. So it was like a professional meeting between her and Maxwell Sheffield. Right. And at the same time that she's kind of like in talks to do some sort of play or show with Maxwell, she's also about to launch her latest fragrance, which is called Black Pearls. And now anyone who wasn't around in the 90s or just was too young to remember, the Liz Taylor perfumes were huge. Like, this was a huge thing back then. Like, I would say Elizabeth Taylor was kind of like a Kardashian. Like, she was an A-list celebrity and an iconic movie star, but she also was... Maybe the first influencer like I'm going to that might be a bold statement, but she was like a lifestyle brand before lifestyle brands were a thing. Yeah, because she was known to be very glamorous and to have married many times and like have like a very larger than life presence. And like like she was known for just glamour and and just being very extra and being very, um. You know, just like living this like life of luxury and whimsy. And, you know, she had her first fragrance was hugely successful. That was White Diamonds. Yeah. And like the the commercials, the TV commercials back then were like very iconic. Like it was always like, you know, she enters a room and and hands uh this other woman her like um her, her I don't know. I can't remember who she hands it to, but. It, there's just this moment where she hands someone her diamond earrings and she says, these have always brought me luck. 
<laughs> and, and it's like White Diamonds by yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. So it was like, I don't know if she ha- is responsible for the very first celebrity fragrance, but it was definitely the first that was that huge and iconic. Yeah. So I don't know. So any of you youngins out there who don't know what the hell we're talking about, just Google like White Diamonds, Elizabeth yeah. Taylor, and then Black Pearls was supposed yeah. to be like the so, next one. So what happens in the plot is, um, well, the, sh- the episode opens with a pretty funny set piece where Fran Fine catches wind of the fact that Elizabeth Taylor is going to be so, coming okay, But we have to, to talk house. about how this happens, right? Because- Basically, she has the sense that someone very famous is coming by the house. And it's a whole thing that like Maxwell and his, you know, his um, butler, the butler, Niles, who's just kind of grumpy and kind of like smarmy and Cece Babcock, who is his business partner, who's Maxwell's business partner. They're always trying to keep Fran away from these high profile people because they just think that she's going to give off the wrong impression because she's so, you know, you know, she's going to embarrass them. Yes, exactly. So they're always, and she probably will. So, you know, they're always just trying to keep her away and keep her in the dark, but she's a very clever lady. And basically she, you know, she's trying to get it out of them. Like who's coming over, who's coming over. And then, uh, Cece tries to like, divert her by saying can you drop this like package off for who was it oh Antonio Banderas (laughs) Banderas. and then she's like nice try she's like he already told me who's coming over and then she's like oh so you know Liz Taylor is coming over she says to Maxwell I can't believe you told her about Elizabeth Taylor (laughs) and then he's like I didn't you just did yeah so basically Fran is smarter than all of them and like tricks them into like revealing it but also that's like the the thing is that she's kind of the scratch Happy street smart exactly. character who's who's yeah. cl- more clever than they never than they get. They never realize. give her enough credit. Yeah. They really don't. They don't. They always like um, uh, what's the word? They they always they underestimate underestimate her. her, underestimate her, and they don't take her seriously. Yeah. And it's like she's always ends up in the end yeah. so, showing them so, that she's smarter than so everyone. So now that she knows that it's Elizabeth yeah. Taylor, she strategically figures out a way to like trap. Mile is it Miles or Niles? Niles. Niles. Yeah. She figures out a way to trap Niles in the kitchen so that he can't answer the door. And she wants to be the one. To she wants to be the, the one door. to answer yeah. the door and yeah. welcome Elizabeth Taylor in. And it's the kind of gag where in any other show she would like orchestrate all these clever tactics to try to win, yeah. but ultimately like the tactics would fail. But in yeah. this case, she absolutely succeeds. Her her scheme immediately pays off she successfully traps him in the kitchen almost like effortlessly like she's thought of everything (laughs) yeah and then the doorbell rings she answers the door and there it's elizabeth taylor like she she pulls it off yeah and and elizabeth taylor like you know to her credit like one of the most famous people in the world at the time actually does appear in this sitcom and has like a whole scene and it's it's so funny because so Fran is like so in awe and everyone are in, around who interacts with her is in awe and becomes a stammering idiot basically as soon as because she is literally one of the most famous people in the world at the time and Fran especially would worship her because she looks at Liz as like the ultimate glamour icon and then um when she goes to hang up uh Liz's like rap that she brings with her she 
like finds her mother Sylvia, who she obviously blabbed to that Liz Taylor is coming by, hiding in the closet, which is hilarious. Like a stowaway. Yeah, because she would have been hiding in there for hours, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because Sylvia is basically Fran. You know, an older version of Fran. They have a very similar personality. You know, like lacking the kind of you know anything close to the waspy sort of conventional way of interacting with people. They're like both larger than life and 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 um unfiltered, unfiltered. <laughs> and Sylvia has a full on sparkly cocktail dress on because she wants to impress Liz. Because she wants you know Liz is. Like, you have to realize that Elizabeth Taylor at this time was around for decades. And so basically, not only would Fran have grown up watching her movies, but so would Sylvia. Like, Sylvia would have definitely, you know, seen many of her movies when she was young. And, you know, so it's just this cute thing where they're both just so in awe and they're trying to impress her. And they're they're treating her like she's literally royalty. Like they're like kind of bowing to her in an awkward way. And there was a gag uh, right before answering the door, like the doorbell rings. Niles is trapped in the kitchen. And then Fran takes a camera, places it on a table and starts the self timer on it. Yeah. And then answers the door. And then when Elizabeth Taylor comes in, she she says, like, I just want you to look over at that table for a moment. Pretty table. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And waiting for the camera to go off to take a picture of the two of them. Yeah. Which was a pretty funny gag. Like, it's 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 very fast paced. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And then. um. And then the grandmother is also hiding. Yes. So then it's revealed that the grandmother, Grandma Yetta, is also stowed away in the closet. So they all basically like all these women were like just clamoring to meet Elizabeth Taylor, yeah. wanted their moment with her, wanted to yeah. kind of bask now, in her glamour. Yeah. And <laughs> now, all of this is like prologue to the actual plot, because yeah. what happens is eventually Maxwell comes in. He kind of wrestles them off of Elizabeth Taylor and tries to like initiate whatever meeting that he's supposed to be having with her and you know wants to go get fetch some tea and they're gonna have a meeting but Elizabeth Taylor asks Fran to help her with a little favor because she has this string of black pearls uh, that are there for promoting her fragrance yeah Uh, and the way that she describes it I mean it's such obvious like like infomercial level product placement she's like these are my black pearls that i'm gonna be wearing for a photo shoot to promote to promote my brand new fragrance called black pearls and it's just it's a whole thing um but then fran takes it happy to help her mother suggests like that she can't trust a bonded courier and that she should deliver the pearls herself yeah and and fran agrees and and frankly if i were in that situation i feel like i might have made the same leap like i might have done that myself because i'd be so paranoid um but the thing the the real moment when the sitcom logic kind of comes into play is like why the hell did liz taylor send her jewelry off why didn't she it was in a small box she could have just kept it with her until her photo shoot. Like, what was the reason it, for yeah, it was sending it ahead of time? Very it, made no, it was very, very contrived, but I feel like I didn't care because I was so entertained. Yeah. It's a contrivance you know? because the whole point is the pearls get lost and then the arc yeah. over the four episodes is, is searching, trying to find, trying to find these. these. And every pearls. sitcom gets involved in either the search 
or the fun, like, you know, it's so it's it's very clever kind of thing that's woven throughout. So basically, Fran, in her attempt to take the pearls herself, takes a cab and the cab driver is a very eccentric cab driver named Cosette, who's played by Rosie O'Donnell. If you've listened to our um, our high society episode, you'll remember this. And we were kind of debating about, you know, whether she had her own show, and whether yeah. that was a character, and she, and no, a regular. And like she did have a show, but it was her very popular um, talk show, her daytime talk show at the time. She didn't. But she was an established actor also. Yeah. Like Rosie O'Donnell was a huge like movie star back then. And then she took her like daytime talk show and then kind of like later on was on The View. Like she's had such an interesting yeah. career. So this was but anyway, this was more like a an amusing like, an amusing cameo. Exactly. This was like a fun little uh cameo that she made in this episode uh, yeah. of The Nanny because it was like it was you know the audience gave a big reaction yeah. when the scene to opens. Her appearance. Yeah. Big reaction. So so we know she's in this and we know she makes uh, an appearance in High Society when the plot wraps up. We don't know if she appears in uh, Can't Hurry Love or Murphy Brown, yeah. but possibly. Possibly. It, I guess we'll find out when be, we hunt be, down those yeah, other episodes. Like maybe she has a cameo that weaves through all four shows. We yeah, don't know yeah. yet. We don't yeah. know yet. Um, but anyway, so the grandmother's a stowaway in the closet. Apparently that was her idea originally. Yeah. So it's. It's so. Is, so okay, yeah. no, but we're getting off topic. Yeah, You're, I'm off. I was trying to explain how the pearls got lost. Okay. Okay. So okay. she's in the cab with Rosie O'Donnell, and basically Rosie O'Donnell's character is driving very erratically, and they're kind of having a little. They're bickering a little bit. They're joking. It's a little bit of a chaotic interaction. And at one point, she's like not stopping at a red, and Fran's like, "Stop at the red!" And then she slams on the brakes causing Fran to like lurch forward and smack her head on the divider between yeah. the front ca- like seat where the cab driver uh, sits and where the yeah, passenger the glass sits. Divider. Yeah, this is the glass divider. She smacks her head and then it's like a hard cut to the hospital. Yeah. And so she's at the hospital and we have no idea what's happened to those pearls. So basically she's left the pearls in the cab is what we assume. Yeah. Based on what's going on, because she just passes, like she gets knocked out and then has to go to the yeah, hospital. But she wakes up in the hospital and she has no other injuries other than the fact that she, in a classical comedic trope, yeah, gets has temporary, temporary am- amnesia. amnesia. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, like, normally I hate tropes like this and the amnesia thing. Yeah. It just feels so cheap. This was the funniest version. Yeah, of, it of was that, that I've ever it was, seen because here's how they deal with it. Basically, all these like, you know, things that they're trying to explain to her about her life. They make no sense because the show itself has a lot of contrived ele- elements and it's her kind of like make poking fun yeah. at all of that while she's but like a little bit more context yeah. that we need to explain is that the doctor says, look, her memory will come back on its own soon. But you shouldn't try to force it or tell her too thing, much. Tell yeah. her too much. Like, let her come around to it herself. 
don't start trying to explain right. who she is or who people are. Okay, so it'll yeah, shock I kind of misspoke so, there, yeah. So the whole thing is that she's back yeah. in the house with the Sheffield family, yeah. and none of them can correct any of her random assumptions. Yeah, so she's assuming that she's married to Maxwell and that the- The, the three, sh- kids, three are kids, kids are her kids. She, at one point, she thinks maybe she's Elizabeth Taylor. Like, yeah, her mind is just, just jumping it's to jumping all, over all these the random place. conclusions, yeah. and under the doctor's orders, none of them are allowed to- to con- correct her. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's like a scene where Maxwell is, he's all stressed out because he just wants to know where the fuck these pearls are. So he's like really stressed out, but he can't, um, he can't really um, try to like get it out of Nanny Fine. He just has to patiently wait for her to like heal and for her memory to come back. So he's really, really stressed out. So he decides to have this like, like this bubble bath and like listen to music and he's kind of like zoned out and disassociating in the bath when Fran sneaks in because she's kind of like at this point assuming they're married and she's like you know feeling kind of sexy and wants to like yeah. get in the tub with her takes off her clothes her gets husband. in the tub with him yeah yeah and there is already like throughout the series there's kind of like uh, already like some tension some romantic tension some sexual tension between them so this is like the obvious kind of you know kind of joke to make because she's like just she's just following when when she's in the state of having amnesia she's just following her instincts and her instincts are oh i'm attracted to this guy and he's like you know i live with and him i live so with him so we he's must, my husband. We must We're married logically I, you know, I'm they gonna, must be married i'm gonna get into this tub with him and get something started or whatever oh, so, and there's <laughs> the thing about how the grandmother uh, oh, the is, grandmother also doesn't do any favors because yeah. she basically implies that they're married in like because <laughs> when she says that he's her, he's the husband, and then she has these three kids, and the grandmother's like, "Listen, I gotta, I gotta level with you. The truth is, the two oldest kids are actually from a previous marriage." Yeah, and but the <laughs> the funny part about this is, Aaron was like, "His your reaction was, oh, she's just messing with her." I'm like, "No, no, no." Part of the joke of the series is that this grandmother is like a little bit loopy and like, you know, heading towards. Yeah, so she also doesn't yeah. know. So she doesn't really know. So it's either she's messing with her or she like honestly can't remember what the relationship is yeah. herself. So anyway, it's but then also grandmother and mother really kind of push for there to be something between uh, Fran and Maxwell, because clearly they would love for her to marry a guy like this, oh, a successful he, guy like this. He's both handsome and rich. Yeah, and British. So you know, and British, <laughs> and and produces musical theater, which yeah. is something that they all love. love. Yeah, so it's like a whole thing where you know, I gotta now. I really want to rewatch the episodes when they actually get together because you know it's. Uh, yeah, it's got to be something that the the mom really reacts strongly to. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so this does make me want to watch more of the nanny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, the tub mishap happens, and every it's just it's a whole series of mishaps where she's making assumptions about her life, but they're completely wrong. She even thinks that her nasal voice and funny laugh is the result of like yeah. hitting her head. And she's like makes fun of that because she's like, "Oh, can you imagine going through life sounding like this?" Yeah. <laughs> and that's like literally her normal. So it's, it's some really good self-deprecating mm. yeah, humor. Yeah, At yeah. one point like when she 
she um gets into the bath and he he realizes he has to confess that they're not married and yeah. so then she thinks like you know then what am i doing here and he's like well i pay you so then she immediately thinks that maybe she's like a sex worker or something like that yeah yeah she's like oh and well then- and she <laughs> and then she's like, that explains my shoes. Yeah, yeah. And so And then he's like, No, you're you're the nanny to take care of my kids. And and then And she's kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. She's like, I've got style, I've got flair. How yeah. did I become the nanny? And that is like the catchphrase of the sh- the show yeah, from, from the, the theme song. From the theme song and so, the whole premise of the show. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's funny. I you know now I'm gonna now I'm gonna get it a, a little bit like uh now I'm going to give the counterpoint of why I'm annoyed by the Liz Knight concept. Okay, go for it. Go but for it. But again, this was a fun, this was a very enjoyable episode to watch. Yes. Um, when we did some further research, um, you know, it turns out it was a very blatant marketing stunt. Um, it was pushed on all of these sitcoms by the network. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like perhaps the writers and actors of these shows yeah. were not all stoked to do this this was something that cbs made them all fall into line on but you can see how like on the nanny they actually like ran with it it and- makes the most yeah. sense the placement of it on the nanny makes the yeah. most sense it's, in it's, my opinion it's funny. and high society like there is some th- i feel like you can justify this kind of appearance on both of those yeah. shows, it, given the themes, given the themes, the, the characters, than life, like you know, yeah. and it sounds char- like like eccentric yeah. characters. Hi, you know, it sounds like maybe the show where this was least welcome was Murphy Brown, which is a show where like this would be tonally like not a great fit, yeah. and it also sounds like they found a way to give it the minimum amount of like allowable screen time in yeah. their episode. So yeah. at some point. We'll get to watching that. But like, yeah. So but that said, I mean, they ran with it in a clever way. They made it funny. I mean, as a as a jumping off point to this amnesia plot, it was it was funny, even though it is contrived. Um, It turns out that it's unknown who paid whom in this relationship between Elizabeth Taylor and her company and CBS. Or perhaps it sounds like from another source, maybe no money was exchanged. And it was assumed to be yeah. a, like a mutually beneficial cross promotion, like a way right. to a way to get people committed to watching all four shows back to back. Yeah. On on the TV side and for Elizabeth Taylor, free promotion for this new product. So we should say we're being vague about sources just because. Like they're covered by entertainment writers and critics for the major newspapers I mean, we can maybe say the newspapers. No, we don't have to say. It's just, okay. we read the multiple reason, sources. The reason we don't want to source them is because they're really, they're very, very icky. The way they talk about Elizabeth Taylor yeah. as a figure, as a woman over, you know, 50. And the way they talk about basically things that are sort of of interest to women in general. Like, it's very gross and you know, you're all welcome to do a Google on this and kind of read for yourself. But like all of the the major like publications did like a little like in their entertainment section did a story about this where there's a lot of talk about Elizabeth Taylor's like, you know, appearance. And it's just like it's sad. Like it's like very like, yeah. 
you know, so it's like critiquing, critiquing the marketing stunt, the marketing stunt and saying just like really mean spirited yeah, things about Elizabeth is, Taylor. But what I was going to say is critiquing the marketing stunt as yeah. to whether or not product placement should have this much influence on four yeah. different TV shows might be fair game. But they go into territory in these articles that are that go way outside of bounds of what would be necessary to yeah. critique the marketing stunt. And uh, and they're like written in a very smarmy, harsh yeah, way. It's very harsh. I will say, you know, everyone, you could check out this blog. Um, this is like a more like recent blog. It's basically uh, Pubala.com, Tom um Holbrook's crossovers and spin-offs pages and this is where this blogger has um covered this entire um four-part um crossover I think you know talks about it yeah so he just does a good um a good job explaining kind of the four episode arc if if anyone's interested mm-hmm. just to get the background on that but as far as the the mainstream publications I, I would just say just google it yourself and you'll get a really good sense like this is something we've noticed in working on this podcast is that like just the way tv writers back yeah. then like wrote about women on screen it gets pretty yeah. ugly like it's just pretty like mean-spirited and it's like obviously like entrenched it is and, and i, I <laughs> misogyny i went into researching this Already thinking like that, I you know. So if anyone's I, gonna you know give us flack for not c- citing our sources, there's a very specific yeah. reason why in this case. Like I don't like crossovers. I don't like these sorts of stunts that break I like the fourth the wall. I we've talked about this before. Like I went into researching this show thinking like I don't like this type of stunt. But when I read a few of the articles of critics at the time talking about it, I was like, why are you being so? mean yeah, about it like yeah. it's so i don't know and they go into all sort well i i'm just gonna say like one of one of them a prominent critic at the time seemed to hate all four shows like right. even putting aside even Murphy brown which yeah, was very um even putting aside the critique of the marketing stunt they went yeah. into the article basically describing all four of these shows as i'm paraphrasing here like total drivel and i'm like Okay, two of these shows had just started and they were pretty new shows. So no one knew that much about high society or can't hurry love yet. But like the nanny and Murphy Brown were already very successful, very good, like solid shows. Yeah. And the just the whole tone just really came across as as misogynistic because I mean, what's the common yeah, factor all, in in yeah. those two shows? Is that they have f- female protagonists, strong, uh, female protagonists, very strong-minded yeah, yeah. female protagonists. Yeah. So, um, which presumably was part of the reason why they felt like a, a cross promotion with Elizabeth Taylor would would make any sort of sense yeah, in the totally, first place. Totally, um, and you know yeah. what? Like, it, it's so funny that back then, you know, like the overriding like sentiment was like, "Oh, these networks have lost all their integrity doing a thing like this." And it's like. Now there's so much product placement. Integral what now? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And now the entire, like basically what we've seen in this, you know, four-parter thing is like, you know, a brand partnership akin to like what you see on (laughs) 
like Instagram now with basically influencers and reality TV stars. They're all just like shamelessly plugging like um, products. Yeah. And no one no one critiques that because at this point we all have to kind of it's, sell out a little and do these things. It's so right? quaint. So it's you know, it's so quaint that back then they were like railing against yeah. this, like co- this integrity. And it's like, I think what they did with that show was actually very clever and entertaining. Those shows are very yeah. clever and <laughs> no. entertaining. So it's like, I don't really mind that they're kind of shilling a fragrance. And I kind of like think that that was cool of um, Liz Taylor and her camp to like come up with yeah. something fun like that. Something kind of out of the box. I don't, I don't, you know? mind. I don't like, I don't mind. It's just a fragrance people. It's not like they're trying to push like junk food on children or like, you know, something dangerous. I, I mean, you know, it's I, just a fragrance. I don't mind and, that. And it was part of the zeitgeist, the whole like, the whole like Liz Taylor fragrance things were definitely part of pop culture. Yeah. So why not? You know, I don't, I don't mind the shilling the fragrance part. You know me. I always complain about crossovers of any kind to me. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's a marketing stunt. And I'm fine with them. Just, but... just the idea of like breaking the fourth wall on the different story worlds and having crossovers. I always get grumpy about that. But like. To read the way that that critics were reacting to it at yeah, the time, it's so surreal. You would think that it was like some big political scandal or something exactly. like exactly. Like, but it's so quaint to be upset about something like this yeah. as a, as a marketing stunt. And it's like, meanwhile, only a few years later, the internet's like, yeah, hold my beer. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> 1996. Yeah. What an innocent time. And what an innocent to time. Think yeah. that this is a marketing stunt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, so what if it is? I thought it was very clever. I thought, you know, it's like, it's just so silly. The whole thing is so silly. And like. The the thing that I was also reading up on is like how CBS at the time had this like nickname of being the Tiffany Network. So it had a bit of a cachet of being like classier and like more high end, which is kind of a, a random sort of yeah. thing to associate with it. And, uh, you know, people thought that this of all things kind of cheapened that reputation and i'm thinking like how does it well, cheapen it's, be- it's because her fragrances were sold exclusively at kmart or something okay. like that so oh yeah god forbid someone who is very glamorous is actually selling things to people that's accessible exactly so she's created an accessible product for you know people who are like middle and working class that they can buy and they can feel glamorous like her you know god forbid yeah. it's like which makes a lot of sense to to put into the nanny it does the whole thing makes so much sense i thought it was a very clever move and you know i just think it's so funny how the critics were on this like high horse of you know just railing against it so hard i know <laughs> it's 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 weird. It's a it's a it's certainly, if nothing else, a time capsule. It is. It's a, tr- a real time capsule. Because um, something like this would never happen today for a whole number of reasons. Yeah. The idea of of, you know, the network ratings being dominated by sitcoms. Yeah. The idea of sitcoms being super mainstream. The idea of having a primetime lineup that's four sitcoms back to back. Yeah. The idea of those sitcoms being written episode by episode so that you could yeah. actually 
coordinate something like this. And and then the idea of a marketing stunt being novel, like yeah. none of these things could happen again. So it's it's like traveling back in time to a very specific point in history. Yeah. Like that part of the sort of mid to late 90s when things like this could happen. Uh, you know, I have to say, like, as much as people didn't like this whole quote unquote stunt, the plot and everything about it were way like way more innocent than some of the other things that were on television at the time. Like, you know, well, we talked about how, you know, we enjoyed watching The Naked Truth because it was like basically a showcase of the worst parts of that era. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it it's just so interesting because everyone was so quick to criticize the intention of producing these episodes and these like, you know, this partnership, this collaboration with this big celebrity. Um, they're so quick to criticize it. But yet, like, it was maybe ultimately the like the least harmful, like, type of plots to, like, discuss. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, maybe we should get to just kind of how this phase of Liz Knight ends. Yeah. So. Uh, do you want to explain? Yeah. So ultimately, you know, there's lots of jokes that ensue, as we've said, where um, Fran is like making these funny assumptions about her life. And then finally, her mom, Sylvia, shows up and she's sort of trying to like jog her memory and trying to show Fran some photos of, uh, I guess, her father to try to like jog her memory. Yeah, like, do you recognize this, and this guy? And the joke is that like he's wearing a different hairpiece every time. <laughs> so she doesn't recognize like, I don't him. know who any of these men are. They're yeah. all your father wearing yeah, different yeah. hairpieces. And then at one point, she just kind of mentions that um, one of Fran's cousins has gotten engaged. And that's basically what snaps Fran yeah, out of her, her jealousy. Her that jealousy that her cousin's cousin, getting married before her yeah. uh, snaps her out of it. And then so that's kind of like the end of the episode. And then she remembers that she left the she pearls in the cab. She remembers it. And then Maxwell conveniently kind of walks in and is like, you know, upset with her. He's like, okay, finally, I can be mad at you. And because then, you're and then freaks out and chases <laughs> yeah, her yeah, up yeah, the stairs. Yeah, yeah, Which is kind of a weird uh, thing to add in there. But anyway, yeah. so basically, it's setting it up for the next phase of Liz Knight. So now they know that these uh, pearls were left in the cab and so i guess we'll have to find out on our next installment yeah. what happens from there like where we have to track the the yeah. pearls and we have no idea when we're going to do the next installment we have of no this. idea it could be literally anytime because we're kind of just threading it yeah. in when we it when we feel like it could be a month like or it. a year we have yeah. no idea so so you guys will have to keep tuning in until we uh continue this um fabulous liz night and there you have it <laughs> So, uh, until next time. <laughs> Cut to credits. That Was a Show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That was a show.
Radio Gizmo.